Hey, I want to thank everybody for uh, joining us and being part of this uh, online uh, and on-site worship time. I'm going to raise this just a little bit so I don't have to look down quite as much as uh, I did. All right, here we go. So, as followers of Jesus, we, uh, for, for lack of a better way of saying it, we, we hold dual citizenship, uh, so to speak. Uh, it doesn't matter who we are or where we live. If, we are, if we're followers of Jesus and, and live in this world, we have dual, uh, uh, dual citizenship. If you live in China or Chile, Canada or the Congo, Egypt or England, Alaska or Australia, uh, wherever we call home on this planet, uh, Jesus' followers are also citizens of God's kingdom. And then the question we have to ask ourselves is which citizenship will be our primary citizenship? Which one will be first? Uh, am I a citizen of my earthly political nation who also happens to be a citizen of the kingdom? Or am I a citizen of the kingdom who happens to be a citizen of an earthly political kingdom. For, for example, the disciple of Jesus in China needs to decide if they are a Chinese Christian or a Christian that's Chinese. I have to decide, am I an American Christian or am I a Christian who happens to be American? There is a difference, particularly if push comes to shove. Now, we've never had that problem in this country, which is why some of you are looking at me like, I don't understand what you're saying. But if there was a Chinese Christian here, or should I better say a Christian Chinese person here, he or she would be going, mm, I understand completely. Because push comes to shove there all the time. There is a difference. If I am a citizen of God's kingdom, my first and primary loyalty must always be to King Jesus. And so we're going to be investigating life in God's kingdom over the next few weeks in this new teaching series. Um, so somebody might be asking, why take time to talk about God's kingdom? Uh, well, after having watched this video, in case you didn't catch it, Jesus talked about God's kingdom uh, quite a bit. I, in fact, I looked in, in all four of the Gospels, Jesus talked about God's kingdom. Not quite as much in John, but in his conversation with Nicodemus, he said those words that, with, unless you're born again, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Oh, 
Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that Jesus preached about the kingdom. In fact, the first thing that they say about him is that he came preaching the kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of heaven is here. Matthew, remember his name because I'm going to come back to him really soon. Uh, Matthew wrote, Jesus went throughout all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of disease and sickness among the people. Real quick observation. We only do one of those. Jesus came teaching, preaching, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of diseases. And we just teach. I know we call people preachers, but if you're listening, they're not talking about the kingdom. I know, because I I've been called a preacher frequently. And I don't talk about the kingdom frequently. Trying to fix that. Jesus broke all kinds of rules about the kingdom uh, that the people uh, around him, his society, his culture, his his friends and neighbors held. Uh, they were widely there was a widely accepted view of what the kingdom would be like when it came, and, and uh, Jesus broke all the rules. Maybe not all of them, but he broke all kinds of rules. In fact, the religious leaders uh, were scandalized by the things that Jesus did uh, in the name of the kingdom uh, and, and by the people that he called to follow him. Uh, when we, we talked a few weeks ago about uh, the conversation with Nicodemus that Jesus, Jesus had with Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and said, we, we know that you're, uh, you, you've come from God because nobody can do the things you're doing unless they've come from God. You know, nobody can heal people like you do unless they've come from God. Nobody can do that. And then there's this unspoken thing that you don't hear, but I know because you look at the rest of the, all the religious leaders they're all thinking this. I don't even know if Nicodemus was thinking and just didn't want to say it out loud, or if he just didn't. But there were a bunch of them thinking. But you don't act like somebody who came from God. Because people who come from God would want to hang out with us. Not those people. Take Matthew, for example. I, I told you to remember Matthew's name. Take Matthew, for example. Matthew was going, uh, Jesus was going about his business one day, and he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. He was definitely one of those people. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. 
and took him home, and he threw a party, and while he was at Matthew's house, well, the only people that Matthew had who were friends were other tax collectors and sinners, because the religious people would not hang out with him. And so the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the fundamental Bible-thumping teachers, saw this, and they asked Jesus' disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Don't, they don't say it, but I think they're thinking, why does he eat with them when he can hang out with us? I mean, we're pretty sure he could, has to be from God because nobody could do the kinds of things he does Unless they were from God, and, you know, we're from God. Because nobody could be as good as we are unless they were from God. And it's pretty clear those people aren't from God because, well, it's just obvious. So why is he eating with them? And they muttered and they complained all through Jesus' public ministry. In Luke 15, the people, it tells us that the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the experts in the law, it's even more people. The lawyers are getting involved. The religious and social lawyers were getting involved. And they're complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He hangs out with the wrong crowd. But that's not the end of it. There's a, I'm just hitting some high spots. There were a whole, I cut out a bunch of examples, trust me. But I don't want you to forget about the woman who touched him, which by the way was totally, totally against the rules. I mean, men did not, good men did not talk to women, even their moms and their wives in public. And a woman never touched a man in public unless she was one of those women. Oh, by the way, everybody in town knew this woman was one of them. One of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them, and so Jesus went to his house, and he was reclining at the table. That's the way they ate. They, they, they reclined at the table. Not, they didn't sit in chairs. They reclined and and a woman who had lived a sinful life, she was one of those women. Uh, she learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, and she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. Not only was the perfume expensive, the jar was expensive. And she stood behind him at his feet, and she began to wet his feet with her tears, and then she wiped them with her hair. By the way, Jewish women always wore their hair up, and the only place they ever let it down was in the privacy of their bedroom. Breaking more rules out in public. And she wiped his feet with her hair, and she kissed them, and she poured the perfume on his feet. And the Pharisee who had invited him to his house saw this, and he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, I mean, if he really was from God, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Because it's quite obvious that any woman who lets her hair down and starts touching you in public is one of them. 
By the way, that's in Luke chapter 7. If you want to read the rest of the story and find out what happens to it, you know, you, please feel free to go look that up. Luke chapter 7. That's a fun story for me to talk about. Uh, finally, toward the end of his life, Jesus, I think, is headed up to about here with all this complaining. And he, he tells the religious leaders that the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom without them. He tells the religious people that think they're so good that they're not, they're missing the kingdom and all the tax collectors and prostitutes that they're looking down their noses at are getting in first. This is what he says. I tell you the truth, tax collectors and prostitutes will go ahead of you into the kingdom of God. John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors and prostitutes did believe. And although you saw that, you did not change your minds and believe. See, Jesus brought a brand new way of looking at God's kingdom. And one of the things he did, one, one author put it this way, Jesus did more at the dinner table than he ever did in the synagogue or the temple. He did more at the dinner table. Notice one of the complaints, when he eats with these people. He did more at the dinner table than he ever did in the synagogue or the temple. He challenged at the dinner table he challenged the social and religious exclusion. These people were, the, the, the religious people had this, this bubble they lived in. And it's us four and no more. And, and so Jesus comes along and he goes, well, that's fine, but I like these folks over here too. And frankly, I like them. Well, I like to eat with them. I can almost hear him saying, they're fun. And all you guys do is grumble and complain. <laughs> Jesus challenged the social and religious exclusion that was going on. He refused to perpetuate the religious traditions that did value people. He did more at the dinner table to shake things up than anything else that he did at the synagogue or the temple. So I'm going to show, I'm going to show you two different ways that, that, that the people were looking at the kingdom. There's a way that the religious leaders were looking at the kingdom and there's a way that Jesus did. Uh, and so let's look first of all at the way that the religious leaders did. Gonna, I don't know what's wrong with this. Okay. All right. The, the religious leaders, uh, they, 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 they had what they, what we, what we're going to call a bounded community. They're, they had a wall. There, there, was a, there were rules about who was on the inside and who was on the outside. Um, the Apostle Paul 
when Jesus was alive, the Apostle Paul was alive. And the Apostle Paul, where I don't know where Paul was at the time. At that time, he was being called Saul. Uh, wherever he was, he was living in this bounded community. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin, if I remember correctly. He had been circumcised on the eighth day. He was trained as a Pharisee. As far as the law was concerned, as far as all the rules of the the, the religious rules were concerned, he was blameless. I mean, he was the prime example of what it meant to be in this. He was a superstar in the community. So one of the things that we notice about this, there are all kinds of rules. And the people who live in this community... All looked the same. All spoke the same. All acted the same. They were clones. They were uniform. If they started to act differently, they ran the risk of being kicked out. Several stories about that. Nicodemus never told people he was following Jesus because he didn't want to get kicked out. Joseph of Arimathea didn't tell people he was following Jesus because he didn't want to get kicked out. Lots of people were following Jesus, but they didn't want to be kicked out of their synagogue, so they kept their mouths shut. It was a bounded community. And anybody who didn't fit the rules and fit the mold was on the outside. They were part of those people that we don't want to have anything to do with because we are the good people. Bounded communities are uniform, straightforward, and stable. It's easy to know who's in and who's out because they all look the same, they all talk the same, they all act the same, and if they don't, they're on their way out. Or maybe they just got in and haven't quite yet possibly, you know, like by just got in, I mean they just got in five minutes ago and haven't been straightened out yet. Because somebody's on one on the way to come over to straighten them out because they're going to be straightened out within 10 minutes or they're going to be out within 15. Because you don't get any time to kind of get acclimated. You, you get into this group and you get acclimated immediately or you're out. You're either in or you're out. Then along comes Jesus. And Jesus starts the kingdom this way. Two words. Oh, I wish I could write these. I wanted one of those great big whiteboards. He says, he starts with these two words. Follow me. He walks along the, the, the seashore of Galilee and he finds some fishermen and he says, follow me. He sees Matthew at the tax collector's booth and he says, 
follow me. He sees people and he says, follow me. In his group, this is a centered group. The key is not the rules that keep good people in and bad people out. The question is, what's your relationship to the center? <laughs> Jesus. Are you following Jesus or not? You can be in this bounded community and have all the right stuff. If you're not sure what I'm saying, I'm going to tell you, go look, read Philippians chapter 3, Paul's testimony about what it's like to be living here and have your act all together and then hear Jesus say, follow me. He uses a word, by the way, that I have yet to find in English translation that does it justice. He wrote in Greek, ancient form of Greek, and the closest, I, I'll give you, I'll tell you, how, just think about this. Have you ever walked through the yard barefoot and stepped in a dog dew pile? No. Well, if you have, you know the feeling. Because what he says about this, Paul says, all this stuff, I consider a pile of dog do in comparison to knowing Jesus. <laughs> English translations go garbage. A few of them go dung. I'm waiting for one of them to get really drastic and say correct. Here, this is the question in the center group. What's your relationship to the center or to Jesus? Now, in a center group community, things are messy, confusing, and complex. I mean, you have well, over here. You got this. You got Matt, the tax collector. I mean, this guy is a, a traitor to his people. He's a swindler. Oh, and then, then you got his buddy Zacchaeus. And then you got this woman who used to be a prostitute. Oh, and then you got this whole village of Samaritans. And man, they don't come anywhere near getting in this group. The Samaritans don't. I, and then you got these other sinners that hang out with this. No wonder. No wonder these people were confused. It's difficult to know who's in and who's out in a centered community. In the 21st century, some of these people might look like they're Muslims. But they're starting to ask questions about Jesus and they're starting to study and they're starting... It's somebody better be answering those questions so they get to know him. 
Instead of be standing over here going, oh, Muslims can never know Jesus. All I want to say is, I'm so glad, because believe me, I know, I've met some people who thought this about preacher's kids. I'm so glad there were, there were not anybody around me when I was growing up that thought that preacher's kids could never know Jesus. <coughs> right, Nancy? Some of you are going, I don't understand. What, what's the thing about preacher's kids? Well, some of us understand. This, this is the centered thing. It, there have been people that are trying to follow Jesus, and we'll look at them and we're going, Wow. And there'll be some really super good people who are not following Jesus. And we'll be going, why not? And the reason is that they're so bound up with their rules. They're not ready to follow. <clears throat> See, we want easy. I, I don't know what it is about us. We, we like human beings. We like rules. I used to think it was something about happened to us when we sinned and rebelled. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 3, God said to Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in this garden except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when the serpent came and tempted them, they had already developed a rule. And the rule was you don't even touch the tree. God didn't say anything about touching the tree. But somewhere along the line, Adam and Eve decided if we never touch the tree, we'll never eat off that tree. They made up a rule. They made their own little boundary. And we all know how well that worked. There's something about us. We like boundaries. We like rules. We desire uniformity. We like everybody to look the same and talk the same and act the same. We get frustrated at the thought of not having clear, quick ideas of who belongs and who doesn't belong. Now, Jesus' followers have been struggling with this thing for 2,000 years, so we shouldn't be surprised that it's still a problem. Paul wrote about who God includes in the kingdom and an obligation to welcome them in just about every one of his letters. It was a big deal in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 15. And it was still a big deal in the book of Acts. And it's on through. Even in Ephesians, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 16 in this series. Uh, and even in this book, Paul's writing to these, this city that's primarily filled with Gentiles, but there are Jewish people there as well. There are Jews and Gentiles who are following Jesus, and he's trying to talk to them 
about how they, they're supposed to have this kind of a community that's focused on Jesus. And they're struggling with this. The reason is, there were people who, like Paul, grew up with the, this mindset. We've got these rules. And once they started following Jesus and they found all these Gentiles running around eating bacon and doing all kinds of non-Jewish, non-kosher things, they said, wow, don't you know Jesus was a Jew? If you really want to follow Jesus, you ought to be a Jew too. And Paul's going, it's not the way it works. The question isn't, are you following the rules? The question is, are you following Jesus? But that's messy. And Paul says, yeah, but that's the way Jesus does stuff. Listen to what he says. As a prisoner for the Lord, if you want to talk about messy, just going to pause for a moment. There are several of Paul's letters that he writes from a Roman dungeon. Because he's following Jesus, he ends up in a Roman dungeon. That's pretty messy. Oh, by the way, Paul had dual citizenship too. Actually, he had like triple citizenship. He was a Roman citizen. He was a citizen of the Roman Empire by birth. He was a Jew by birth and he was a citizen of God's kingdom. And he had to choose which one was first. And his choice was God's kingdom first. As a prisoner for the Lord, Then, he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So, what does that mean? That, what that, center that. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. What's, what is that unity of the Spirit that he's talking about? And, and how do we maintain it? Well, we have to go back a couple of chapters in Ephesians chapter 2. We read about it just a few minutes ago. It's part of our Bible reading. You've been saved by grace, whether, whether you're Jewish or Greek or Roman or barbarian or Scythian or whatever, whether you're free or slave, male or female, regardless of what, what you are, we're all saved by grace through faith. That's a gift from God. It's not something we've earned. It's not a matter of keeping the rules. Trust me, Paul says, I know. I kept all the rules. I was blameless. <coughs> yeah, 
I can't believe that. Well, I, he said it, and the Holy Spirit inspired him to say it, and I have to trust that it was. I have a hard time with that. I never made it through 15 minutes being blameless when I was trying to do it all by myself. Only as blameless according to those rules. Trust me. Maybe he just wasn't as I know, he's a pretty strong little guy. I don't know how he did it. That is still my idea. Anyway, he says to them, remember that you formerly you who were Gentiles by birth. So definitely people outside the boundaries. You were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, in other words, the kingdom of God. <laughs> Foreigners to the covenant, without hope and without God in the world, you were completely cut off. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. He himself is our peace, who has made the two Gentiles and Jews one. All of us in this room who are Gentiles, all of us, can now say hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. You brought us in. He's made us one. He's destroyed the barrier. Destroyed the barrier. Tore down the dividing wall. Abolished the 600 and some odd laws that were necessary to follow if you were a good Jewish boy and girl. Because his purpose was to create in himself one new human race focused on following him. And through him, we all, we both, Jews and Gentiles, act, have access to God the Father through the Holy Spirit. We enjoy uniformity. There's something about us as human beings. We expect other people to be like us. We want a quick, clear idea who's in and who's out. Uh, the first church that was that gen the Jewish group that was trying to push Gentiles to be Jewish so that they could be more like Jesus. And, and here comes Paul and he's saying, listen, God has created a unity in the spirit. God and God alone creates unity in the spirit. And what we can do to keep that unity is to resist the urge to try to make everybody look like us. Do you know how serious he was about this? He went toe-to-toe -to -toe with a fisherman over it. A guy named Peter showed up at a Mixed potluck. We're going to call it mixed because there were Jews there and there were Gentiles there and they were having a potluck dinner. 
First of all, they were breaking one of the great Jewish rules. Don't ever associate with Gentiles, let alone eat with them. But they at least had gotten that far. They were having a potluck dinner, a church potluck. But some of these guys had showed up from Jerusalem, and apparently Peter knew them, and he was a little bit intimidated by them. Peter, the guy with the mouth. Peter, the guy who spoke at Pentecost and 3,000 people. Peter, you know, you know, okay. Peter was intimidated by them. And when they got there and they were kind of doing this, well, you know, uh, yeah, I know they follow Jesus, but they're not really Jews, you know. And so Peter stopped eating with the Gentile Christians and started eating only with the Jewish Christians on the other side of the fellowship hall. And Paul, another apostle with the mouth, walked right across the room, stood him up like nose to nose, or, well, Paul was supposedly short, so it might have been more, more like nose to chest. But whichever, Paul said, Peter, you're a hypocrite. Before these yahoos showed up, you were eating with anybody and everybody. Start acting like Jesus. Get over here and eat with my friends. Tell these guys to shape up and get over here and eat with my friends too. We have to resist the drive to insist on everybody looking like us and acting like us and thinking like us. Many years ago, when I was younger, how much younger? Oh, about 27 years. I just moved to Bay City. And Joyce's dad, Carl Soderquist, asked me to take him to go see the Bloombergs up north. <laughs> up north. North of here at Windward. Not, not the real up north. As we were driving up there, he was talking to me about how Mr. Bloomberg had recently been saved. And I don't remember exactly what he, what he was talking about, but he said something along these lines. <clears throat> you know, he, he's a new Christian. He still does, and I don't remember what he said. But the Holy Spirit will show him in time what he should do. Ladies and gentlemen, that is how we maintain the Spirit, through unity of the Spirit. We don't worry about the rules. We worry about whether this person is trying to follow Jesus or not. And if we see something, we can trust the Holy Spirit to show them the right time. But trust me, when the Holy Spirit shows you something, you need to change. 
It's a whole lot harder to win an argument with him than it is to win an argument with you or me. <laughs> Sermon in the sentence, unity in God's kingdom, in God's, king, in God's kingdom. Unity in God's kingdom flows from our focus on King Jesus. In the 21st century, there are, there are four types of, of congregations. There probably have been four types of congregations for a long time, but I think the, these, these four types are going to become more and more obvious. There is a congregation that's going to say to everybody, anyone and everyone, we're okay, we're okay, you're okay, and hey, that's okay. Great. And there's another group that's going to say, we're okay, you're not okay, come back when you are okay. And if you're lucky, we'll let you join us. So there's a third group, a third kind of congregation that says, we're not okay. You're not okay. In fact, no one's okay, but that's okay. Then there's a fourth group, a fourth type of congregation that's going to be open. It's gonna it's gonna say we are not okay, you're not okay, but that's okay because Jesus is gonna make us better than okay. Let's follow him together. Which one do you think is most like the kingdom Jesus tried to? Didn't try. Which kingdom is which one's most like the kingdom Jesus launched two thousand years ago? I gave you a hint. The only one that talked about Jesus. We're not okay. Not as screwed up as I used to be. You're not okay. But that's okay because Jesus is going to make us so much better than okay. You can't even imagine. So let's follow him together. Come on, let's go. That's the invitation. That's the invitation we offer to people. Let's pray. Come Holy Spirit, 
We need you. We are exhausted. We're frustrated. Our souls are parched. Our spirits are dry and cracked as death out. Come, Holy Spirit, renew and refresh us. Fill us with joy. Flood our lives with righteousness and peace. Heavenly Father, we will always thank you. You enabled us to share in the inheritance, the blessings that belong to your people. Blessings of living in the light of your love. You rescued us from the dominion of darkness and you transferred us into the kingdom of your dear Son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. <coughs> King Jesus, you are the visible image of our invisible God. You existed before anything was created. You reign supreme over everything. God created everything through you in the heavenly realms and on earth. You, you made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Everything was created through you and for you. King Jesus, you are the center of it all. You existed before anything. You are and you hold all creation together. You are the source and creator of the church. You made us your body. You have filled us with your spirit's presence and power. Jesus, you are the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the beginning, the supreme one over all who rise from the dead. King Jesus, you are first in everything. You have no rival. You have no equal. You reign now and forever. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. God, in all your fullness, you chose to live in Jesus. You reconciled everything to yourself through him. You made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of his blood on the cross. Dear Jesus, thank you for including me, for including us who were once far away from you. We were your enemies, rebelling against you, with our broken, destructive thoughts and actions. And yet now you have reconciled us to yourself and brought us, bought us, redeemed us through your death on the cross. And Jesus, you've brought us into God's holy presence. You've made us holy, blameless as we stand before you. Amazing grace, amazing love. How can it be that you are God? 
of the Holy Spirit. Purify us, empower us, and lead us to those who will follow Jesus with us. Focus us. us to be like Paul and forget everything that's behind us and press on for that one goal to be with you. Amen. Once again, I want to say thank you for uh, Participating either online or on site with us. Uh, if you haven't joined the Champions of Hope group on Facebook and you want to do that, please take the chance, time to do that. Um, get some uh, things shared there, make some connections that uh, we will not have had opportunity to do otherwise. Jesus sends us to follow him in giving our lives for the world. Part of what it means to follow him, we give our lives to reach the world. Introducing others to the Holy Spirit's powerful love involves weeping. It's messy. It involves wrestling in prayer like Jesus does. But he's there with us. So, Go. You are sent to seek with Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Go find him in his name.